If you're a Christian, there's something you need to guard against. The world wants you to approve of sin. You must never succumb to the pressure of a godless world by giving approval to sinful lifestyles. Rather, you're called to stand boldly on the Word of God, which is the only hope the world has. One area where this is especially true is homosexuality. Today on The Wisdom Journey, Stephen's lesson is called What the Bible Says About Homosexuality. I have read that the Sahara Desert in North Africa was once filled with herds of buffalo and and antelope, cattle grazed in lush pasture land. Well, it's now buried under mountains of sand as the desert has expanded to the south over the last 100 years, claiming more and more of the African continent. However, uh, there are places where rivers of water are flowing from the Atlas Mountains underneath this Sahara Desert. Sometimes the water comes up to the surface, and the land around it becomes an oasis where life can flourish. I like to think of a church as an oasis in the midst of a desert, offering the water of life to everybody who's dying of thirst. Uh, But I have to tell you, the desert sand is never satisfied. It wants to infiltrate and compromise the church, covering over the truth, as it were, in every generation. Now, so far in our study of Romans chapter 1, we've learned that that those who abandon the Creator end up experiencing the consequences of their defiance. Paul writes here in verse 25 that mankind ends up serving the creature, that is, the animal kingdom. The animal kingdom was created by God for mankind to take care of and and enjoy. Animals aren't to be treated with cruelty. But when mankind rejects God, animals rise to a place of equality with man. Frankly, when that takes place, humans end up treating humans like animals, and they end up treating animals like humans. So today, for example, it's illegal to crush the egg of an eaglet. The law protects the unborn life of that little eagle. But it's perfectly legal today to crush the life of an unborn human being. Well, now today in our wisdom journey, we come to verses 26 and 27, where Paul delivers another consequence of abandoning God's created order. Paul writes, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Paul is telling us here that in disobeying God's design for sexual relations, mankind actually reverses the order of nature. Now, don't miss the connection here. When the creator of nature is abandoned, the order of nature is abandoned. So Paul writes here that those who reject the truth about God are abandoned by God to what the Bible makes very clear here are dishonorable passions. Now, what are these passions that are dishonorable? 
Paul writes here in verse 26, women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Next, here in verse 27, uh, men are abandoned by God to follow the same reversed pattern. So Paul writes here that they are consumed with passion for one another. The text is speaking of homosexuality, describing it as contrary to the created order, the created purpose that God intended for the male and female. So Paul is effectively saying that when people abandon God's word, God abandons them to a life that pursues unnatural sexual relations. In fact, Paul goes on to write here that they receive in themselves the due penalty for their error. This phrase means that homosexuality is itself God's judgment upon them. It might also be a vivid warning that God's judgment awaits them. Now, these verses here clearly condemn homosexual acts or homosexual practices. Yet this clear teaching of Scripture, of course, is attacked by those today who want this sin to be accepted and approved. The push to honor what God describes here as dishonorable is evidence of how far a culture can can actually stray from the Word of God, and that includes many churches and church leaders today. Now, as you can imagine, this passage here has become one of the most controversial passages in the Bible. I've, I've heard church leaders refer to it as a clobber passage. It's politically incorrect today. And that's because the meaning of this passage isn't, isn't unclear. It's obvious. And it isn't intended by God to clobber anybody, but to warn and to direct Uh, Still, there are various arguments you might hear today uh, from those who want the church to be inclusive, uh, for homosexuality to be approved by the church. I've heard the argument that the Bible doesn't condemn homosexuality at all, only homosexuals who act selfishly. And those who propose this argument, well, they've got to go back and rewrite the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they're quick to quote Ezekiel 16, verses 49 and 50, which condemns Sodom for arrogance, for an inhospitable attitude, for refusing to help the poor and needy. Just keep in mind that Ezekiel is only adding to the list of their sins for which these cities were destroyed. Other passages in the Bible make it clear that what was taking place in those cities was more than inhospitality. In the little book of Jude, The Bible says in verse 7 that Sodom and Gomorrah indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. Those are the exact words Paul uses here in Romans chapter 1. Another argument that I often hear is that Jesus never uttered one word against homosexuality, so he, he wasn't against it. Well, uh, beloved, Jesus never uttered one word against incest or pedophilia or rape or pornography. Does that mean that he's not against those sinful actions? During his ministry, Jesus didn't address every sin, but he never approved of any sin. And by the way, there's a vast difference between saying Jesus accepts you and Jesus accepts anything you want to do. Another argument I have heard over the years is is that a homosexual is by nature homosexual. That is, he's created that way. Therefore, he's not acting contrary to his nature. 
Well, Paul is condemning, they say, an unnatural behavior. In other words, homosexual acts are wrong only for those who are not, by nature, homosexuals. Well, that's a, that's a clever interpretation, but Paul isn't talking about heterosexuals here. He's talking about males and females who abandon the natural order and lust after the same sex. And that's what the Bible is calling unnatural. Another argument I often hear is that a heterosexual is born that way and a homosexual is born that way and they can't change. Well, if you can't change, then it's not a choice and you simply can't help it. That's their argument. Of course, the truth, according to Scripture, is that we're all born with a sin nature and we can't change our sin nature by ourselves. We, we have some particular bent toward a particular sin. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 calls it the sin which clings so closely. It's what we might call our besetting sin. That is, that sin that we continually struggle with. That sin that we have a weakness toward. Let me tell you, beloved, we're all born bent, so to speak, in the wrong direction. But that doesn't give us the freedom to follow our bent. A married man who lusts after his neighbor's wife can't say, well, you know, God made me this way and I I can't help it, so I'm going to pursue it. Yes, that's his natural bent, his natural desire, but God calls it sinful. In fact, God calls it adultery. The Bible never calls homosexuality or adultery a genetic issue. The Bible never calls sin a sickness. But I got to tell you, that happens to be good news. Sicknesses might not have a cure. Genetic problems might never be corrected or resolved. But there is a cure. There is a remedy for sin. In fact, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul lists a number of sinful lifestyles. He writes in verse 9, Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. But then I want you to notice what he writes in verse 11, and such were some of you. Let me tell you, the church in Corinth was filled with former idolaters and adulterers and homosexuals and drunkards. And what happened? Well, Paul writes in verse 11, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Let me tell you, beloved, we happen to live in a desert. We're surrounded by the sands of sin. The only oasis, the only place of true fulfillment and rest is found in the forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you are. Jesus died to pay the penalty for your sin. Now it's up to us to admit our sin, to ask Jesus for forgiveness, and he's going to keep his word. He's going to cleanse us. He's going to redeem us, and he will walk with us through life. 
Well, until our next wisdom journey, beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. That was Stephen Davey and a lesson he called, What the Bible Says About Homosexuality. This is the Wisdom Journey. Stephen Davey is the president of Wisdom International and the teacher for this daily program. He developed the Wisdom Journey to help you understand what the Bible says. That's what really matters. People can give you their opinion, but what matters is what God has said through his word. If you have a comment or question, our email address is info at wisdomonline.org. Join us next time to continue the wisdom journey.